by the way, I'm probably going to get in trouble for telling the story, but that's okay. She'll have a good laugh. Wick's walking in the middle of the road, and it was literally like 5, 5.30 in the morning, and I'm like, what? It's the H-Dog Pod with your host, Michael the Hound Dog Harrison. Hey, hey, welcome to episode 64, the Ben Hogan edition of the podcast. As I've mentioned before, it's getting increasingly difficult to find great players that fit the corresponding number of the episode but Ben Hogan won 64 PGA Tour events, fourth most all time. He won nine majors and is one of five male golfers to win the career Grand Slam. The crazy thing is, he won six of those majors after a near-fatal car accident in 1949. He had a double fracture of the pelvis, a fractured collarbone, a left ankle fracture, a chipped rib, and blood clots. Doctors said he may never walk again, let alone play golf. Keep that in mind for those who think Tiger Woods is done after his car accident. El Tigre is the most ferocious competitor the game has ever seen, so I wouldn't bet against him returning to golf. Speaking of a return to golf, finally, after weeks of not being allowed to golf in Ontario, the ban has been lifted, and I'm super fired up to get back onto the golf course and to probably shoot a a bad round, but still, it will be the absolute best. And I know my next guest is a big golf fan, so I'll be sure to talk to her about it. So without further ado, let's get cracking. Okay, and now welcome on Tessa Bonham. She's an Olympic gold medal winning hockey player and current TSN anchor. Tessa is also a huge supporter of the Michigan Wolverines. Welcome to the H-Dog Pod, <laughs> Tessa. Fake news. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I just want to poke the bear right away there uh, with that one. Yeah, you, know? you had to throw it. I, I, I would never utter those words. I'm a Buckeye through and through. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, uh, it's funny you say I was I was wondering, uh, what would actually upset you more uh, Michigan winning a national title or the United States winning a gold medal? Another gold? Um, I think because hockey hits so close to home and I know what, what what's on the line and what goes into even just getting to an Olympics. I think watching the Americans win another gold would, would crush my heart more than, oh, that's tough to even say. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. they're both up there. They're 1A and 1B. They, they both make me feel sick to my stomach. Yeah, I can, I can imagine that. That, that. That's what I figured you'd go with. But uh, basically, that was just a vehicle for me to ask you about uh, how much uh, Craig Button annoys you. Uh, obviously, he's a big Michigan fan. So You know what? I love that he's a Michigan fan because every time we play, him and I have a bet. And I've won so many amazing bottle of wines off of him that uh, I, I feel like even if I lose one year, I'm already up about six or seven bottles of wine on him. So I'm good. Every time, every year it comes, my husband gets super excited because he, he's excited to see what nice bottle of wine we're going to have with a, a steak dinner. <laughs> well, certainly, obviously, yeah. Ohio State definitely, definitely has their number. Uh, it's not even really a particularly close battle, right? How many in a row have they beaten uh, against Michigan? Uh, since I've been six, betting button, I've won seven in a row. Uh, <laughs> this would have been eight, but this year's game was canceled, unfortunately. So we just uh, we, we we're gonna go double or nothing on the next on the next round. So who knows? My husband and I could have each our own bottle of wine. What uh, and what's your uh, sort of favorite bottle of wine that uh, you've gotten from Button? He had giving uh, he gave me a really nice bottle of cake bread and. Um, for whatever reason, my husband was bang on with cooking the steaks and everything just worked so perfectly. It all melded together just great. And I felt like it complimented uh, our meal well. And before you knew it, the bottle was done. We were both accusing each other of pouring too big of a glass. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, tasty treats. And you know what? 
if there's one thing you can know about Button is he, he knows good wine. So I feel like I trust his judgment. He's not going to drop off, you know, a bottle of Barefoot at my doorstep <laughs> or bring it into work. But he always has a fun way to uh, to make sure that I, I know that it, it, uh, it was one off of him. Uh, the last one I got was Seven Years in the Desert, and that's because it was seven years since they've won. And it was my <laughs> seventh win in a row against him. And then the first time I won against him, or one of the first times, he... Uh, he ended up putting Michigan stickers all over it and just completely ruining the bottle of wine. So <laughs> he's a good, he's one of my favorite coworkers that <laughs> button, but uh, you know, we're both passionate about our schools. We both appreciate and know, you know, how much they put into their athletics and how important it is to them. And, and uh, yeah, and obviously having attended the schools, you know, we, we appreciate it and we're proud of them and it's just a way to kind of have some fun and then, you know, garner some exposure for, for alma matters as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I have a, a take about wine that uh, oftentimes people accuse me of being extremely trash take on this one, but I, I, I occasionally will have a bottle of wine, not too often, but I, I'm always uh, saying that basically a $10 bottle of wine, if you uh, not know how expensive they were, a $10 bottle of wine versus like a $100 bottle of wine is the exact same thing. Uh, what do you think about that? So my parents were a part of a wine club when I was growing up and they did just that. Everyone had to pluck a uh, name of a wine out of a, a bowl and go buy the wine. They brought it bagged. Um, it was corked. The wine was all poured up and they had to rank them one through 10. And the number one best wine was like, I think the $15 bottle. <laughs> and uh, the wine that was least liked was the $150 bottle of wine. So yeah, I think you're onto something, but That's that just hilarious. goes to show, right? Like you kind of almost have a nose for it. You have to know what you're looking for. You have to know what you like. And um, for the most part, all of us were brought up on just buying a, a liter of wine and just guzzling it right when we're in high school just looking to catch a buzz <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny I, obviously I, I didn't know a, a, about that and so funny you say it because yeah I, I usually I, I'll often say that just to poke people uh, poke the bear a little bit it gets people yeah. so angry whenever I say that but it's so funny that that you know I, I've been proven correct I, I guess on that one so that, that, yeah, that's you awesome can, you can thank you can thank Doug and Debbie for that one <laughs> that's so good I mentioned Olympic uh, gold medal winning uh, hockey player. Uh, you won, of course, gold in the 2010 uh, Olympics. Uh, how was that experience? And uh, there must obviously be some amazing stories of the aftermath after you won. Yeah, from what I remember, um, <laughs> it, you know what? Hey, I tried out for the 06 Olympics. I was I was pretty young. I was about 18, uh, 19 years old. And and um, I'm, I'm convinced the coach brought me on just straight up for experience because what goes into Olympic year is a lot. I'm sure she had some faith in me and was hoping that I'd surprise her and, you know, come in and grab the bull by the horns. But uh, for a young kid who, who dreamt of doing this her whole life and, you know, hadn't really uh, attended many senior camps. I mean, I, I went to my first senior camp in, uh, it was called October camp. So I went in October. I did my first Four Nations Cup in November and then I was centralized and I was an alternate for the women's worlds team in February. So I was literally just cutting my teeth. I had no idea what to expect. I barely knew the girls. I barely knew the systems. Um, that's not an excuse by any means, but, um, you know, I, it was a really good learning experience for me in 06. Uh, looking back, had I made that team, I don't know if I would have, uh, obviously I would have enjoyed it, but it would have been a different feel. You know, the women play the Swedes in the final, uh, to win gold. The Americans had lost to, had lost them in a shootout and ended up going to the bronze medal game and winning bronze. Um, and also wasn't on home soil. So, you know, when I finally made the team in Vancouver, I was more confident in myself and in my game. Um, I knew what it, what it was going to take in order to get through the centralized year, not only healthy, but peaking and playing at my best. 
Um, I feel like there was no surprises that year in terms of training and uh, what was going to go into it and was, what was going to be asked of me. And on top of it, I mean, it's on home soil. It's, it was in Vancouver, and it was cool to be a part of, you know, the moment Canada came alive and finally discovered that it's okay to be proud of ourselves and, and to let everyone know how amazing and great our country is. And, um, you know, I, I feel like the moment that everything kind of sunk in where I knew that my family was there, my uncle had flown in from L.A., my Grammy had flown in, there was a, you know, my aunt, my uncle there, my cousin was actually working at the Olympics. Um, it was just kind of like, all right, cool, everybody's here. And I've had all of them come watch tournaments of mine before, but um, I think all of us on the team, when it, when it really sunk in and, and hit us that how important it was for us to be able to uh, defend gold and win on home soil, you know, it's hard enough just to win gold period, but to defend it is super hard. And then to win it, defend it on home soil is like damn near impossible. And, you know, when Alex Bilodeau uh, won the first gold for Canada, we were all hanging out in our common area and we were all watching the TV and behind the TV was just like a window glass pane where you could see out over the water into downtown. And it was Vancouver. So obviously uh, come February, it was already time to wear just a long sleeve shirt. So we had our patio door open and, uh, you know, he won, we were all cheering and celebrating and high-fiving. And then, um, all of a sudden everyone was like, yo, yo, be quiet, be quiet. And then we could hear from across the water, people in the streets, downtown cheering, horns honking. And then all of a sudden all the fireworks went off Hmm. and we all kind of had a moment where we looked at each other and we were like, whoa like everybody is watching this everybody is into it like we got work to do like let's get down to business and I think that that was the moment where everyone really put their game faces on not that we never had them on before but like we had been very successful against the Americans leading into these Olympics we knew we were the better team the only way we were going to lose is if we beat ourselves and we all knew that and that was fine and dandy but it was just a matter of that happening and realizing you know we can't take any part of this lightly like whatever game we're going into, we're hitting the gas pedal, you know, and we're not letting up. Like we can't, because this is, this is not losing is not an option here. It it has to be a win. And this is going to be probably the hardest thing we've ever done in our lives. And sure enough, it was, but it was so awesome to do it uh, with all those ladies and with our families uh, present and in the mix as well. Yeah. That must've been absolutely, obviously a blast to to win that. Uh, Yeah. What was the party like afterward? Obviously crazy i'm assuming but uh is there any uh, stories that uh you probably shouldn't say i say but that you can tell yeah we uh obviously you know we we'd gone to to have our interview done on ctv and got to see lisa laflamme and brian williams and, and you know shoot the breeze with all of them and um then we got bus back to the Can- hockey canada house and you know we all got to see our families and celebrate there and um you know, enjoy one another. Then we got presented on the stage in front of all the people partying in the bar area in the back. And there was probably about 1500 people there, which was awesome. And then, you know, after we kind of ran out of booze where we were, it was like, Hey, where are we going to go? And someone had met a bar owner and he was just like, come to my bar. I'm going to open it up. We're going to close the curtains. You and your families are welcome to come here. And, uh, we went there and party there till like five in the morning and (laughs) it was awesome it was like we had our own private area you know we only had the people there that we really wanted there and that was our family our friends and each other and obviously the coaching staff and whatnot but um it was just a private secluded party that we needed someone local in vancouver that you know saw the need for the women to get their own special treatment if you will Mm -hmm. um 
And, uh, yeah, I'll never forget it because, you know, a bunch of us were taking taxis back at different times to the athletes village. And, um, I was still at the bar partying and, and my sister called me and she was like, uh, by the way, I'm probably getting in trouble for telling the story, but that's okay. She'll have a good laugh. Um, my sister had called me and she was like, Hey, um, we're just, we're just driving back to our hotel and, um, we're, we're driving down West Hastings and, um, Wick's walking in the middle of the road. And it was literally like five, five thirty in the morning. And I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, we pulled over. We're just following her, making sure she's okay. I'm like, well, is she heading in the right direction? Like, is it towards athletes village? She's like, I, I don't know. I don't know where, where, where we should go. I'm like, well, pick her up. Like, <laughs> Tell me we're stumbling down West Hastings, you know, pick her up. So I guess one of our other girls, uh, or one of our goaltenders showing the Bonte was in a cab as well and wasn't too far behind. So I ended up grabbing her and bringing her back. But, um, I remember that being like, Oh man, let the debauchery begin. <laughs> and then the next night I'd gone to, uh, one of my friends, uh, lived out there and her buddy owned a bar. It was called relish. And I think it's still around. And, uh, we went and partied there and he let me bartend while I was there. So myself and Maggie Michelson had our, our medals on, we were serving up drinks, just having ourselves a time. And, um, he allowed us to, you know, lock our purses back in the safe, which we did. And, um, for whatever reason, Megan and I kind of got separated on our, our walk home or our, our, I should say our adventure home. I ended up getting a cop driving home because I had no idea where I was. Um, and I got to the athletes village and I looked down and I'm wearing Megan Mickelson's athlete accreditation. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh my gosh, she's like five ten, skinnier than me and a brunette. <laughs> this isn't going to fly. And I was like, whatever, I just got to try it. So I threw my stuff through. I really only had my purse and my medal and my Megan's accreditation. And, uh, I, they let me through. I get in. I, I'm like, this is hilarious. I go to bed. I pass out. I wake up in the morning and Mick's crying. And I'm like, what? What is it? And she's like, I lost everything. And I'm like, no, no, I have your credit. I have your accreditation. <laughs> she's like, no, I don't have, you know, my she's like, how do you have my accreditation? I'm like, I don't know. I was just wearing it. <laughs> and she's like, I don't have my purse or my medal. And my gut sunk and I'm like Mick come on man so I texted one of my girlfriend that I was out with and she's like we have your accreditation and I'm like well how did how did Megan get in then like it just this huge mystery anyways lo and behold her medal ended up being at the bottom of my purse so we don't really know how it got there or how she got in or where her purse ended up but uh we found the medal, which is all that matters. And her accreditation was fine. And I got my accreditation back that afternoon. <laughs> so all was fine and well, but nonetheless, you can only expect that there are a million more stories like that out there. Oh, yeah. um, but uh, those were a couple funny ones that, that really hit home and that stuck with for a while with me that, uh, that I'll probably never forget. That's funny. It's almost like a, you know, a, uh, the the Hangover movie, uh, and you know, it's, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's so so funny. You mentioned uh, Haley Wickenheiser there. Obviously, she's part of Maple Leafs management, which is awesome. Uh, yeah. Would you ever be interested in uh, either coaching or being in management? It's funny you mention that because I was doing an event with Hockey Canada, and I was just chatting with you know Gina Kingsbury and a couple other leaders within the group, and um, she had mentioned you know that I've always wanted to stay involved in hockey, and for whatever reason, it always seemed like coaching was the only way you could. And I felt the same way. And I, I never wanted to be a coach. You know, I, I, I wanted to coach my kids 
my kids team, my grassroots, because I think that, you know, watching young kids develop and, and grow at that age is so much fun because, you know, their learning curve is so steep. Um, but I never had the drive or the will or the want to coach a collegiate team or anything like that. I saw, I saw the time demand. Um, I saw that it took away from family time and I'm a very family oriented person and it, I, it kind of made me feel bad about it. And Gina was like, you know, there's, uh, actually it was Megan Hunter who's involved with the Chicago Blackhawks. She was like, and then I realized there's a, there's a million other avenues you can take to be involved in hockey. And I happened to find it in the Chicago Blackhawks organization. And when, as soon as she said that I was, I, immediately felt like this weight was lifted off my shoulder and I didn't have to feel guilty about not wanting to do that anymore and that there were other ways to give back. And, you know, I, I get a little, I get a little taste when I get to cover the women's worlds with TSN. Um, but again, that's just a small way to make sure that, you know, the coverage of women's hockey is up to snuff and that they are getting, you know, the stories and the coverage that they deserve. Um, but, you know, I feel like there's gotta be other ways and, you know, having now, moved to Milton, Ontario and, and residing here, I feel like I'm definitely going to get involved in some capacity with the women's uh, hockey association out here. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be at the coaching level. It could be, you know, at mentorship, it could be skills, it could be, um, you know, even getting involved in, in the hockey association itself. So um, yeah, I feel like just recently I've had that epiphany where it doesn't have to necessarily be coaching. It can be something different, but, um, Danielle Goyette got hired as well by the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I got to say that that is one hell of a hire. Absolutely. Um, she, from day one, man, I, I can tell you this, my first ever game, uh, with, with the national team at the four nations cup, uh, was against Finland and, and for whatever reason, I was gripping my stick a little tight. I stopped moving my feet and, uh, she came to me before any coach came to me and she was just like, Hey, I, I saw you at camp and you're, you're, you're such a great skater and a great player. Why aren't you doing that now? You know, just, I don't know if you realize, but you're not moving your feet. And when you move your feet, your hands will loosen up. And you know, when you see the pass, make it, you trust your gut, you got good hockey sense. And from that shift on, I remember being like, she's a player coach. You know, she's, she's not just a player out here. She's not just a leader. Like she's a coach as well. And, and she was, she was a student of the game. She was always breaking things down. She was always sharing her input and her insight. And, uh, and I think she was a, a big reason why we were successful is, is because of that, you know, it wasn't only her, it was Wick as well. It was Cass, it was Vicky. Like you look at all these great coaches that came out of that program and it's because they were player coaches when they played. And, you know, as much as the coaches gave us direct direction and systems, you know, we had, we had coaches on the bench and on the ice with us on the regular that were constantly, you know, shifting our focus or, or changing our game plan as we were going. And, and I think that that's why Canada was so successful for a long time. And, and to be honest, I don't think it's a coincidence that once those ladies retired and left the program that, you know, the Americans started to win and uh, that's no knock on the women that are there. That's just a, a, a huge vote of confidence and, and uh, you know, some love being sent the way of those ladies because, I just feel so lucky and privileged to have even laced myself. Like I have no idea what I was doing playing with those women, to be quite honest. I have no idea how I ended up there. Thank you, Mel Davidson for giving me that shot. But like, man, I felt like I was living amongst legends uh, in a place that I didn't belong, but Holy hell, was it ever fun? Yeah. And, uh, and we said, I'm very, very happy that they're part of the Maple Leafs management uh, team. Cause as you said, legends and uh, can only be a good thing for them. And, and speaking of the Leafs, uh, we're recording this the day after a game one against Montreal. John Tavares obviously had a horrible, horrible injury, uh, suffered a concussion in that game. 
Uh, if you're a part of that team, how do you, how does the team respond to that? Or how, how do they get over that uh, going forward to hopefully beat Montreal in that series? Uh, first and foremost, I just want to address, I, I know there's a lot of chatter about there out there about Nick Foligno, you know, in the fight and Corey Perry and all that. And, you know, I grew up with Nick and uh, he's probably one of the greatest teammates any, any team could ever ask for. And what he did, I, I knew right away exactly what he was going for. He knew it was an accident. Corey Perry even said so. <laughs> His thing was, I need to snap my team out of this, shift the focus, and also make sure that no one is chasing or headhunting Perry anymore. This is I'm going to put this to bed right now so that our focus is back to the game. And I think that, you know, if you watch the fight, Perry didn't even swing. He just took it. He was like, you know what? Fine. I deserve this. It's shitty. And, and yeah, that's that's your captain, of course. He didn't take one. He didn't take one swing at, at Felino. He just protected himself and kind of ragged all of them around. And, um, I think Felino's intent was proper. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, I trust those two guys. Those are, those are vets in the league that are policing the game the way they want it to be policed. They don't want any of the younger players, their star players being distracted, trying to go after this guy because it's an emotional game. That's a scary moment. It's a really hard thing to shake. So kudos to Nick for doing that. Um, and I'm sorry, I feel bad that he's taking so much flack for it because I feel like as a player, I completely understand where he's coming from. And as as a fight is um, to kind of distract your team from what just happened, it it did, and it was mandatory. And, and it, it still was hard to shake. The Leafs didn't come back as they should have. But um, having a day to digest and I think, you know, having John maybe be able to give them a, a call or his wife or somebody to let everyone know, like, listen, the test came back. I'm okay. I'm going to be monitored. I'm going to be all right. Like you guys just go and win this for me. And I think that's where you direct your focus, you know, is that it's like, we owe this to our captain. You know, he, he went out there. That could have been any one of us. And what would any one of us want? Well, keep making it on so that I can recover and get back onto the ice and play with you guys and hopefully bring home the Stanley cup. And I think that, you know, there's going to be those moments after the game where everyone's going to be texting and talking and, holy man, can you believe that? Did you see the replay? Did you see this? Oh my gosh, I hope he's okay. And, and that's going to happen and you need to do that. That's all a part of the grieving process. That's all a part of putting it to bed. When Tavares comes back, no one's going to take him for granted anymore. Not that they ever did, but everyone's going to be thankful that he's back and he's going to be that ray of light and that little bit of energy that they need. Now, whether that's this playoffs or next season, I don't care. I, I just hope he comes back healthy and he can live a normal life moving forward and that, that he's recovered and okay. So... Um, yeah, for the Leafs, it's just, you know, focus it on that. You know, this year is for JT now. That's it, period. That's what we're doing this for. And uh, as far as Corey Perry goes, man, that's that's no that's no light burden to carry. You know, you, you got to know that that guy lost sleep last night over that because it wasn't intentional. Mm-hmm. This game is so friggin' fast. And uh, sure, Corey Perry plays on the line. You know, he tiptoes on the line of what's, what's right and, and what's pushing it in the gray area. But as far as I'm concerned, that... That I don't that no way shape or form was intentional and I my, my heart goes out to that guy because I I know him and and he's a well-intentioned guy and I know he knows John and respects him very well so you know you hope he can kind of get over that as well and, and continue to play with an edge and, and not be scared for anything like that to happen again because that was that was such a fluke man oh my gosh yeah yeah it was just uh oh just you know the scene just scary and as you said hopefully uh John can get back and uh, they can use it as a rallying cry of sorts and uh you know, continue forward here and uh, take down Montreal. Do you think uh, Toronto, like, what do you think about in terms of that, their chances and other teams uh, to, to win the Stanley Cup? In all honesty, I'm, I'm 
hundred percent with the Avalanche. <laughs> I'm, mm. I'm not a Leafs fan, by the way. Just so you know, I'm not. A, I'm not an anybody fan. The last team I ever cared for was the Avalanche because I had a huge crush on Peter Forsberg. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, I just, I love their team. I love their makeup. I love Kale McCarr. You know, I, I, I love their leaders. I love that top line. Um, and they've just been fantastic this year. And uh, as far as the Leafs go, though, I think this is probably their. If they can get their goaltending straight, I think this is probably their best year, their best chance to go ahead and do it. And uh, it would be cool to see them make it all the way. Now, whether they win or not, it doesn't just no skin off my back. But, um, you know, I know the fans have been waiting a very, very long time. And they've got a group that uh, looks pretty talented and pretty hungry to get the job done. Game one in, game one in any series, I find, is always a crapshoot. Um, does it set the tone? I think physically, yes, it does. Um, but like I said, seven, uh, I didn't have any said yet, but seven game series is a long series. Uh, four games is hard to win. Um, I don't think there's going to be any team going four and all, uh, it's, it's just tough in the game these days. All, all teams are so good and so close and, you know, goalie can steal a game here or there. Goaltending is so talented nowadays, but, um, yeah, my, my money's on the abs and that's, that's so crappy because they're a favorite anyways, but I mean, yeah. it's just hard to deny. Oh, absolutely. They're so, so good. And uh, yeah, going into that series against Montreal, like, there are quite a few Leaf fans I was talking to that were, oh yeah, they're going to sweep them. No problem. They crush them in the regular no. season. I'm thinking, what are you talking about? You're a Leaf fan, or at least you're, at least you're supposed to be a Leaf fan. A true Maple Leaf fan expects doom and gloom. And for somehow yeah. they're going to screw it up some way, shape or form. What are you talking about? They're going to sweep them. I never thought that. I, in fact, going into that game, I thought, guarantee Montreal wins this game. Leaf Nation loses their mind, and then I, I still yeah. think Toronto wins a series in like six or something like that. But easy call to well, say. If they lose Price, if, yeah, if Carey Price has anything to say about anything, he's taken at least one game by himself, right? At yeah. least one game. Yeah. So, and you know, I think uh, Dominic Ducharme took a lot of flack for sitting the young guns. Uh, he decided, you know what, I'm, we're not going to try to you know keep pace and score with these guys. We're going to play solid defense. We're going to shut down their big scores just like we do against Edmonton. And uh, we're going to take our chances where we get them and make sure we capitalize. And that's exactly what they did. So, you know, kudos to him for um, building a proper game plan and kudos to the players for executing. I mean, to be honest, uh, Josh Anderson deserves way more credit than he's been getting all year. And he was bread and butter in that game, man. Mm -hmm. He, he set the precedent for that team. He knew exactly what playoff hockey was and he played a perfect playoff hockey game as far as I'm concerned. So, um, nice to see Paul Byron come back too, and, and, you know, get a nice shorthanded goal, a little confidence for himself, hopefully get those legs moving and have those hands keep up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I'm curious about this. Uh, there's a term that always drives me crazy that whenever I hear, I just go absolutely bonkers. And I'm, I'm wondering as a hockey player, if this bugs you, I hate when people call hockey ice hockey, that absolutely drives me nuts. Does it drive you crazy? It did at first because when I lived in Ohio and I told people I played hockey, they assumed I played field hockey. And uh, I realized after a while that that's what they were assuming. I didn't know I was playing field hockey. Um, and that, in fact, ice hockey meant I was wearing skates. And that used to upset me so much. And uh, But then, I mean, after four or five years at university, you kind of just let it roll off your back. It's... Um, it's, it's like people that get mad that, you know, you call soccer, soccer. It's not soccer, it's football. But to us, football's American football, right? It's, it's in the eye, eye or the ear of the beholder, and that's that. But I can see how it would bug you because I felt that same sentiment, that exact sentiment for, like, my first year, year and a half at university. I also have uh, drives me crazy. Uh, I don't know why. I, I, you know, these, uh, these things that make no sense as to, as to why actually it does bother me. But uh, when people call sports, sport. Same sort of idea. It's just like, no, it's sports. I don't know. Irrational, I guess, but it, it does One thing me. that drives me nuts that I'll never get over, and this is so American, they say offsides, plural. Yeah, yeah. You go offside once, 
You don't go offside multiple times in one call, right? You're either offside or you aren't. And that drives me nuts anyways. Yeah. I, I, that's I, a that's a grammar lesson for you and I. <laughs> that's so true. And I'm a, a, a big uh, grammar nerd for sure. No question about that. Uh, how'd, you, <laughs> uh, how'd you get into broadcasting uh, with TSN? With TSN or in broadcasting in general? Uh, either or. I guess, uh, yeah, how did you get started and then uh, and then eventually to DSN? Um, I was doing a uh, reality TV show called Battle of the Blades, actually, and um, uh, Leafs TV was losing their host, Andy Petrillo, who now works on Leafs Lunch, um, to Hockey Night in Canada. And they needed someone to step in for their last half of the season. And for whatever reason, their executive producer was just like, I like this girl on this show and she's a hockey player and it'd be great if she would come on here and host and chat hockey with us. And uh, when I went in for the interview, I actually thought I was going in for an interview about the show and not about uh, not an interview for a job. Um, so I was quickly surprised and kind of cut myself. And to be honest, I spewed a whole lot of BS and I guess it worked. <laughs> um, so I got on with Leafs TV and I started working in Defender and finished that season off part time. Uh, and then it was just like, I love this. I love this just as much as I love playing hockey. And I think that that's when I started having an affair on hockey and uh, haven't looked back since. Um, then for the 2014 Olympics, Paul Graham had asked if I wanted to come and, and uh, you know, be an analyst on uh, on the show. Natasha Stanishevsky, who was working with TSN back then, was hosting, and Cheryl Pounder was also an analyst, so we got to break down the team. I'd recently been cut by off of the 2014 team, so I, no one knew it better than I did. I, I knew exactly what they were playing. I knew the Americans and, and every team better than anybody, and so I figured I had some pretty neat insights. So uh, Paul was eager to have me and open the door for me, and the rest is history from there. Do you have any? Uh, did you have any uh, sort of like a welcome TV moment or embarrassing moments that, uh, that you've had through through the years? Oh man, plenty for sure, absolutely. Uh, God, probably too many to count. Well, nothing comes to mind right now that I can think of, but uh, there must just you know there it must just be the worst. You say you say something, and the second you say it, you're just like, oh no, 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 and just uh, it rolls off the tongue wrong. Uh, the time yeah. still yeah or when you're searching for a word and you just can't find it and you know pressure's on the red lights on and you're just like oh man i sound like an idiot right now but i mean in all honesty that happens to everybody in conversation and that's all we're doing is we're just having a recorded conversation on camera it happens to be live with you know millions of people watching <laughs> well uh craig uh, speaking of craig button earlier he uh, one of his favorite lines i love that he says is there's perfection in imperfection and, uh, you know, that, that's kind of funny, like sometimes if, as long as it's not a horrible mistake, obviously, but, uh, you know, if, if there's a, some, it seems more natural and more real, I guess, if there's a few minor mistakes, you know? Well, that's it. We're all human and, you know, we're not going to pretend like we're all perfect because we aren't. And I don't think there are many people out there. I think what, what, um, is misunderstood is how hard our job actually is and what actually goes on. And I don't think that a lot of people understand how TV works. Um, and you know, the, the beauty, I guess you could say, of Twitter is that everyone's given a voice and an opinion and everyone considers themselves an armchair expert. So uh, they like to share their insight, which is fine. But unless, you know, unless you've been there and you've done that, you know exactly what goes into it and the moving parts. And, you know, you work behind the scenes a lot and, you know, how and I say this, you guys make the show happen. We are just the face that's sitting up there that, you know, reads our lines and and relays the 
the news and, and all of that. But it just sucks when, you know, a, a prompter crashes or you're given a red stat and then, you know, all these people out there just feel like roasting you and, and giving it to you about one small thing that really, it, it's so insin- insignificant. And yes, we want to deliver the best news, the most proper news. And that's, that's what we're trying to do. And, and things are happening fast and on the fly. Um, but like I said, we're all human and, and those minor instances are going to happen. But um, that said, you learn pretty early to get thick skin and, and to laugh at that because there's a lot of stuff that I notice when I watch TV. I'm like, oh, there's a mistake. Oh, there's a mistake. Oh, there's a mistake. Oh, there's a mistake. But like n- nobody that does that works in TV notices it at all, mm-hmm. at all. So I feel like, um, you know, it's just one of those things that comes with the job and, and that's that. And I mean, it's no big thing. It's no big deal, but um, it's, I guess, part of the job description. I find the best way to clap back at people with uh, who you know, are saying those types of things is just to like just to joke about it and just to be like, "Yep, yeah, I screwed that one up." And then immediately they're they're, they're your friend like, instead of like you know some people obviously want to attack. You just like joke about how yeah I totally uh, botched that one, and then all of a sudden they're like, "Oh, that's a, that person's really cool," you know, and uh, yeah. then, then it's pretty much over. Yeah, because yeah, there's definitely cool. a lot of people on Twitter who are just not the nicest people, you know. I'm not a big fan of, of social media, to be quite honest. For for things like that. I, I enjoy it for, you know, following along and getting a good laugh. But uh, for the most part, it's, it's a pretty toxic place. And I think, you know, there's a lot of mental health issues out there, especially nowadays. And I think, you know, growing up as a young teenager, life is hard as it is. I couldn't imagine, you know, with cyberbullying and all that crap. So um, I don't know. I think it serves its purpose, but I also think it causes more harm than good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, there's definitely people go way too far with that stuff. And it's just like, okay, like you would never say that to someone's face, obviously. And uh, just like, come on, we're all human. And uh, yeah, there's no question. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I hate when someone can hide behind without an actual profile picture or their name or anything like that, right? They're just like, you know, some faceless person saying these uh, types of things. It's it's just the worst. No question about that. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Uh, on your Instagram, though, I I was uh, uh, looking um, at that from when you were golfing. Uh, I didn't realize you were a lefty. Uh, you know, this is obviously not yes, recently because we couldn't golf in Ontario uh, for the last month or so. This is a while ago. But uh, how excited are you for golf to come back? Yeah, I, to be honest, when I started playing golf, my dad made me swing right because he didn't have left golf clubs and he didn't know if I would like golf. So he didn't want to spend money on clubs for me. Uh, so I played golf for about a year, year and a half, right. And um, sometimes I actually putt right if I'm having a bad putting day or I chip right. Um, I used to do that too, if actually. I feel like my short game's not not good, yeah. Um, I miss golf so much, and Saturday's the day. I, I believe my husband got us a tee time, um, so I'm super stoked about that to get out there and swing the club and have my back be sore and drink a nice cold beer afterwards when I get home on my patio. It's just such a great game that, I don't know, you're outside. It just makes you feel so better. So frustrated in the moment, but so much yeah. better when you're done. <laughs> yeah, no, no question about that. Uh, what's, what's your best round? It was on one of our girls' trips. We, uh, myself, Hedge, Carrie, and Tash went to, uh, where were we? I think Probably. you were uh, 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 Peggy's Cove or around there, like, or maybe it was Prince Edward Island, I want to say. I think no, I've seen that some. was the East Coast. We were local. We were like, a, uh, I can't remember. Muskoka, Cobble, maybe? maybe? I'd have to look on my, I'd have to look on my Instagram. That's brutal. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, Hedger was my golf partner that day, and... If you know Hedge at all, which I'm sure you do, she's such a chill, laid-back person with such a good, witty personality and a great, great sense of humor. And um, she was just like, I'm not going to try and, like, win 
our golf day today. So I'm just going to always just drop my ball wherever your ball is. I'm like, hell yeah, man, let's do it. So we had a couple drinks. We we're having a good time. Um, we were literally just having a conversation throughout the whole round and never really talked about golf or our shots or whatever. I, we literally, I literally just, I had her wear my watch, tell me how far I was. I'd grab my club, swing it. We'd continue our conversation, get back in the cart. She'd drive, she'd drive us up to wherever my ball was. And that was that. And, uh, I ended up shooting an 86. I could have got an 85, but I three putted on the last hole. So, um, that was my best. And then when I was eight months pregnant, we went and golfed, um, a really short golf course. I ended up golfing a 78, but it was super short and I would never count it. And, but to be able to write that number down was, was pretty cool. It was basically like a par four course. But yeah, that, 78 is 78, best. right? It's uh, you know, it doesn't matter uh, how easy or tough or, or whatever the course is. You yeah, still got a golf ball, you know. It matters. It wasn't <laughs> it wasn't a long enough course to count. Nonetheless, I, I count my 86 as as my best. So, um, yeah, my my goal is you know my putting sucks and I know it and I don't work on it because I don't know you drive for show and putt for dough and as far as I'm concerned I'm not putting to win any golf tournament so, <laughs> so um yeah I just like to have fun out there honestly with the girls and I've got a g- bunch of good guys here that I play with and good friends from home so I feel like it's more of a social area for me and I just try and break 90 every time which uh for the most part I I relatively do in and around there so I as long as I'm you know not in triple digits I'm happy I find I, I used to be better, you know, back in the day in terms of my scores, but I was more, way more uptight while playing. Now I just have beers with the boys and I can still shoot some pretty good scores depending on the course, you know, sometimes in the seventies, but usually mid, maybe mid eighties or low eighties, something like that. But I definitely have way more yeah. fun now on the golf course now that I'm having a few pops or whatever. And, uh, instead of taking 100%. it so seriously. So uh, that's what it's all about. I forget who it was. Someone always told me, you know, just try and shoot five on every hole. You get five on every hole, you shoot 90. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty good advice. Uh, oh, I'll, I'll get you out of, out of here on this. Uh, speaking of your Instagram, I saw um, some videos you were posting of you and your husband uh, having uh, some drinks, and, uh, and there was quite a, there's some videos, and I thought, I was hoping that I was like, oh my God, is this all in one night uh, of all these uh, different drinks? And you know, he said, you know, drink number one, and I went to, I'm not sure what it was, age or something like that. It wasn't all in one night. But the point I'm making is, I suggest you should do that and all and do it all in one night. What do you think about that? And just get super sloppy in front of everyone. I'd like my job. I would love to keep my job. So maybe when I retire, I'll do that. But until then, <laughs> I'm going to just do, you know, one quick drink on camera and then enjoy the sauce by myself. Yeah, no, that, that's probably a good, uh, probably a good advice. Uh, <laughs> what, 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 what drinks were you having there? Was it wine? Uh, no, we, we did a bunch of stuff. We were, we just figured, you know, we were going to make a bunch of different cocktails. We missed drinking with our friends and just people stopping by and having drinks on our patio with us. And we were like, well, organizing a zoom call is so lame and so forth. So let's just do, you know, mommy's drink. And, uh, so I did. And, and, you know, all of a sudden people were sending us suggestions what they wanted in terms of margaritas or a gin drink. And, um, you know, sometimes you just straight up would just have a beer. I remember when football started, we we're like, screw it, we're just going to drink a beer. <laughs> we don't want to make anything fancy, so we did. And uh, we ordered beer, wings, and pizza. Uh, our pizza our pizza delivery guy actually ended up delivering pizza when we were midway through our, our little chat. Um, so, yeah, we just wanted to keep it light and cool. And, you know, it was awesome because we have friends in Hawaii who dropped in on our call a couple times. I had friends from Ohio State drop in. Um, it's just nice to see people and, and shoot the breeze and chat and catch up. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, speaking of a drink that's really good, a Pink Whitney is excellent. I don't know if you've had it or not, but it is so unbelievably dangerous. 
I have enjoyed my fair share. Yes, I have. It's just like basically you, you can drink it with uh, some ice, and then it's just like, oh, yeah, it's totally fine. It's all good. It's like basically pink lemonade. That's what it is, pink uh, pink Whitney. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh no, that was gasoline. Next thing you know, you're cross-eyed. <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, Tessa, uh, this has been uh, an awesome uh, discussion. Thanks for being on. And, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Of course, man. Anytime. Thanks for having me. That was a blast talking to Tessa Bonama about her stories after winning Olympic gold and the debauchery that ensued. I can imagine there are plenty more epic tales with her teammates after taking home the gold. Really enjoyed her insight in how the Maple Leafs will handle themselves after the awful injury to their captain, John Tavares, and how they'll use that as a rallying cry. It's hard not to agree with her also, but the Colorado Avalanche winning the cup, they're such a juggernaut. And I especially love that she said in that wine tasting that the cheaper wine was considered best over the more expensive one. I always joke about that, mainly because I, I would never buy a super expensive bottle of wine myself, but seriously... Cheap wine does the exact same thing as expensive wine. Why spend more money? She and I will be both super glad to get back onto the links and golf again. It's the ultimate sport for the battle against yourself. No matter how good you get, you always feel you can get better. And for those who haven't played or or they're new to the game, go to a short par 3 course. It'll be way, way easier. And hang on to those good shots. Those are the ones that will keep bringing you back to golf. Thank you for listening to episode 64 of the H-Dog Pod. Bang. This has been the H-Dog Pod with your host, Michael the Hound Dog Harrison. Bang. Mm-bang. Bang. 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 Sir, I can remember the name of the golf course. For the life of me, I cannot remember where the hell we were. I'm going to look now while I have you real quick. We were at Cobble Beach is where we were. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've never been, but uh, anything with a beach on it sounds like it would be a, a good time, that's for sure. It's in Georgian Bay. Great spot. <laughs>